This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Acts of the Holy Spirit study. Um, we will go through the notes from last week. Uh, number four session is actually number five session now and uh, we'll just, just read it quickly because we've got to go all our portion to know that we're going to be studying is Acts chapter 2 and it's quite a long portion and uh, and there's a lot of material in there so we will begin in the time honored fashion before we begin any holy activity which is what pray, pray. can I have a volunteer to lead us in the prayer yeah, I'll do it okay Father, thank you for this opportunity to come together, the, the time and the space and the freedom to gather around your word. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be amongst us to lead and guide and bless. Amen. Amen. So these are the notes from our tail end of Acts chapter 1, where we see that uh, Peter stands up and takes the lead among the disciples. That stage where they're known to number around 120, including males and females. Mary and the brothers of Jesus. This would also include characters like Lazarus and Nathaniel, whom we have heard about in John 1 and never heard of since. In Luke 5, which is the same author as Acts, Peter said, Jesus says to Peter that he is going to be the one to catch men. Yet the majority of Acts is actually about Paul. You actually have little information of, of Peter actually fulfilling this, this, this command. Uh, we hear little of the exploits of Peter. However, there is an apocryphal work called The Acts of Peter. We talked about that, written by Lucius Charinus, a companion of John. Unfortunately, the only copies we have are heavily corrupted um, with other stuff that's been, been thrown in. However, this is the thing that all records the crucifixion of Peter upside down. Remember when I asked, how did Peter die? Everyone said he was crucified upside down. Well, how do we know that? Okay, we just seem to know it. It actually comes from this source, which we then uh, have, have interpreted as uh, Christian tradition. Anyway, Peter declares that the Holy Spirit spoke through, through David. And so does the Holy Spirit speak through other people? And then we had a discussion on this. What weight does the Holy Spirit have when he speaks through other people, knowing that it is the same Spirit? What did we understand and uh, is it the same as Bible? And how do we test the spirits in this matter was one of the questions that uh, Rosemary... We never did figure it out. We never did talk about it. That would be so... Yeah, and we're going to get to that. That bit, hopefully, when we use the Didache session, which is the teachings of the apostles, which in the end of, uh, end of Acts chapter 2, it says they dedicated themselves to the teaching of the apostles, which we will then ask the question, why that? Why not? dedicate themselves to the teaching of Jesus. Right? And so we'll, we'll talk about that and we'll have a look at what they are discussing this issue. And how do they handle the idea of prophets? How do they handle the idea of spirits speaking through, through people? What weight do they give it? And what do they have to do if they hear it? Which is the same questions we're going to have to ask. Yes? We do. You have the Holy Spirit in this room. Holy Spirit is in you. And if he's going to talk through you to me, I think I better listen. So, Peter also notes that Judas has been one of their number and has shared in the ministry. The good and the bad guys are together in ministry. 
They are sharing in the healings and the exorcisms and in the preaching. So how do we recognize a false shepherd? Obviously, they didn't do it. Right? Because remember, Peter, uh, Judas would have been there when they, Jesus sends them out two by two. When they were, were preaching the gospel and healing and casting out demons, he was doing all of those things. Peter quotes from Psalms, Psalm 69, Psalm 109, as proof texts for the behavior of Judas. However, we note that the verses in and of themselves are actually not in context. They are out of context, which in our current way of taking verses out of context, we would dislike. In the Second Temple period Judaism, they had several different methods for biblical exegesis, and we do not have access to those today. They're, they're, even even uh, the rabbinical movement has, has lost that art, and uh, for whatever reason. Okay. There is a choosing of a replacement disciple from among the 120 with a requirement to have been previously been a disciple of John the Baptist, like Peter had been, and uh, the method of choosing was by lot. So there was a historical precedence on this. The first temple had a device known as the Urim, that's a spelling mistake there, Urim and Thummim, the lights and the perfections. This was a method of discerning the will of God through the medium of stones around the high priest. Here we have the lots as the medium, Jesus is the high priest, and in context, the disciples are close to the temple precinct. We note that a hierarchy has been established. There is an inner group of 12 that seems to be required. The early Jesus movement was not a kibbutz or a socialist enclave. Right? They actually had ranks. Uh, hierarchies occur very early in the biblical text. For example, Jethro from Midian. Right? So we, as soon as we get the Israelites out of Egypt, then it ends up being uh, Moses' father-in-law who says, look, this is the way you should really govern yourselves. Okay. Acts chapter 1 is also the last time Mary is mentioned in the Bible. As, as important as she is, she disappears now from all of our sacred history. Various traditions as to where she ended up, depending on your reading of the beloved disciple, in John 11, the first time the, the term the beloved disciple is mentioned, the reference is to Lazarus. Western tradition places her in Ephesus, with Eastern tradition of her remaining here in Jerusalem. The Domitian Abbey, which is not too far away, being the traditional site of her death, and the burial site is located at the base of the Mount of Olives. So I think that that was a, a reflection of our discussion. So now we will turn to oh, any questions regarding what we... We'll now turn to uh, one of my favorite chapters, chapter 2. And we'll begin... I will read the whole chapter, because I think that's probably the best to do, and then see how we go. So everybody ready? Yes. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues like fire spreading out appeared to them and settled on each one of them. Now there were saying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this song, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. 
utterly amazed, they asked, all these who are speaking Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. Greeks, prisons, and Arabs, we hear them speaking in their own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, uh, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my slaves, male and female, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene was a man whose credentials God proved to you through miracles, wonders and signs, which God performed through him among you. You yourself know this. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the ground of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Okay. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him to sit on from the fruit of his loins upon his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all our witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made him this Yeshua whom you have crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now when they heard this, they were cut off the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified to them, and encouraged them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread and bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Awesome. Okay. All right. So just on a surface reading, anything there that jumps out that you haven't noticed before or that every time you do read it, that's the thing you notice. Waiting when it will happen here. <laughs> okay. Well, it will be 3,000, 5,000 in a day. Okay. You like the numbers, huh? Yes. Okay. That's and awesome. I think there was an element of reaping the harvest that the Lord Jesus had sown. There would have been some there that were aware of the ministry, you know, those in, around Galilee. And also the, the ministry of John the Baptist who pointed to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I like the part where they are mocking the disciples <coughs> and then Peter stands up and with much boldness gives his sermon. Yeah. Yeah. And he links a whole bunch of passages together and, and it works. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's real leadership. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Not, not just sort of talking like he does in other places, you know. Yeah. You know it's a mousing gear before his brain and his brain's been engaged, but he's, a, yeah. he's right on it. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got a, he's, his memory of Bible is very good. <laughs> right? So, yeah, remember the, uh, in the Jewish tradition back in the second <laughs> period, time of Jesus, not everybody had access to a Bible, but they had a lot of good memory. They, had, they memorized their scripture, something we we haven't been able to uh, to replicate. Would this be his memory or the spirit inspiration? Good question. Okay, um, that's a good question. I mean, obviously, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with probably both. <laughs> uh, uh, 
for, for guys who may have had a difficulty reading, um, their only way of being able to read Bible is therefore remember it verbatim. And, uh, and you had, in the Second Temple period, you had a guys called the Tanaim. Have you heard of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Amorim and the Tanaim. Mm-hmm. They say today that uh, Yeshua was part of them. Uh, yeah. They're, they're religious Jews, right. like to say that. They like to say that, yep. They like, yeah. yeah. So like in a normal, in a synagogue of the Second Temple period and, and a couple of hundred years after Jesus, uh, if you were going to teach, then the rabbi would sit down, right? Because you actually sit down to teach. That's the tradition. And then you'd have two people standing on either side of it, one person on either side of it. One would be called an Amora and one would be called a, a Tana. And the Tana's job was to memorize Bible. And so this guy, then the rabbi says, okay, we're going to be um, reading from Isaiah chapter 48. You ready? And then the guy would go, okay. And he would just start. And that would be, he, so he could, his job was to have the best memory ever. He could be as thick as two blanks, but as long as he could quote, quote Bible. This guy, the Amora, when the rabbi spoke, most of the time no one could actually hear them. There's, you know, these big rooms and they always speak so quietly and so he would shout it out he would la'amor he would say and often when he would say what the rabbi was saying he would add stuff <laughs> right so he would you would add more material and so often in the in the in in rabbinic literature they'll say things like rabbi yossi said this and the amora said this so this is what the actual rabbi said. This is what the next guy said. Just added some more <laughs> material. Made the story bigger. Yeah? Okay. Um, anyway, uh, anything else? That was my comment. I was looking at verse 14. What a sermon, what a message. Peter, standing up, lifted his voice and said. Yeah. All right. I think it's um, verse... Oh, 37, um, now they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Yeah. You know, what should we do? Yep. Because it's, it's the power of the word, you know, do we have that? Yeah. Now the way people are preaching, but it just goes on. Yeah. Yes, I think verse 17 shows the book of Acts is the beginning of the propagation of the life of Christ. Yeah. After being a human, in humanity, 35 years, and he turned into a pneumatic Christ. The Christ becomes spirit. He's also still a human. Yeah, human also, but he propagates. Otherwise, through the Jews to the Gentiles, today the Chinese won't get into, graph into the tree of life, because the book of Acts starts to propagate. We, see, we right. We see yeah, the we see the growth are, of the church spreading out yeah, to spreading all flesh, out. quoting quoting Joel, yeah. which he says the is the last days. Yeah. This is awesome. So we're it is in the Bible, it's Acts chapter two. So since Acts chapter two, we are in the last days. Last days. Two thousand years of last days. Two thousand years of last days. And what was the Holy Spirit supposed to do in the last days? It, yeah, he says, I'm going to be poured out on all flesh, males and females. And what are they all going to do? What does it say they're not going to do? It says they're not going to speak in tongues. That's what they do do. But the actual text in Joel it says the Holy Spirit is going to pour his flesh on all, all, a spirit on all flesh, 
and they're going to prophesy. It doesn't say, oh, and then they're going to speak in strange languages. That's what they do do. But it's not what the prophet Joel says they're going to do. So we have to also note that because there's a couple of Jewish traditions which are going to show up in this, in this chapter which hint okay, uh, as to what the Holy Spirit's going to do. We'll get to that in a minute. Or maybe two. All right, so let's have a look at verse 1. So the day of Pentecost, Shavuot, which comes how many days after Passover? 50, right? Yep, so Shavuot. Yep, Pente, the, the uh, Greek for 50, and, um, and Shavuot, the term for weeks. Right, seven sevens are 49, and so the next day is the 50th day, which is Pentecost, or what they call Shavuot. And uh, according to Jewish tradition, what occurs on Shavuot? Also a day of jubilee. Mm -hmm. the jubilee. Jubilee is also a 50. Jubilee, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. So, so we, have, we have Passover, right? We have the Exodus, right? That's Passover, Exodus. And then we have this journey of 50 days. And something happens. What do they get to? Sinai, right? And so in this time period, this is where you get Mount Sinai. What happens at Mount Sinai? Right, that's where you get the giving of the Torah. And so Shavuot, Pentecost, is in Jewish calendar the giving of the Torah. Okay, and so that's the tradition when uh, you sit down and you read Torah. When you look closely at the account, it doesn't exactly say in in Exodus that it's on the 50th day, but it's within a few days, and uh, the rabbis have decided, you know, I mean, from the, you can do the sums and the number of weeks it takes to move between where they're going, and it's within a few days, but the rabbis have decided it's on the day, it's okay, I mean, you can't disprove them, and, no. and actually, it's, God does things like that. So, yes, so if you go to Exodus 19, and read the first three verses. <clears throat> so, anyone want to read the first three verses? On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Bethlehem and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall um, say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Alrighty. So there you go. So you, you have uh, one of the first encounters that God actually has with Israel as where he's going to speak to them. And um, it's not the only one. He's had a few before. Um, so what is the purpose of the Exodus? What is the purpose of getting... A bunch of Hebrews out of Egypt. 
to be sanctified as a as a nation okay. or priesthood. <coughs> Anything else? Because then you, you get up to the Holy Land. Okay. If it's the if it's if the purpose of the Exodus is to get Israel to the Holy Land, how would God have done it? Probably way more directly. He would have just said to Moses, uh, when you get across the river, turn left. And when you hit the Mediterranean, turn right. Can't miss it. Through a process. <laughs> right? Left, right. You just cannot miss this. Moses, you don't need a map. You don't need to stop and ask for directions. You're not going to anyway. You're a guy. You're fine. Okay? Left, right. What's the purpose? Trust, exercise, process. And for God to reveal himself to the Israelites. Maybe renew a generation. Yeah, he's to get him here. Like, what does the what does the children of Israel? What does God? What do the Israelites know about God when they're in Egypt? Nothing. Right? They've been there for four hundred and thirty years, but they don't have a Bible, they don't have a temple, they don't have a prophet, and so so here's this: they're saved, they're calling on someone who they don't know. Now God's going to introduce Himself. So one of the first things He's going to say to them is. I am the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt. Okay, that's my business card. Now you want to know who I am? This is what I've done. Okay, so if this is the purpose, right, the Holy Land is great, but this is the purpose, then why take 50 days? Like, this is a, well, if the purpose of the Exodus is for God to introduce himself and to say, I'd like a holy people, I'd like to sanctify you all. I'd like to give you my commandments. I'd like to challenge you to be as holy as I am holy. I want to walk with you. I want, to build, I want you to build me a tabernacle so I can come and live with you. That's how much I want to be with you guys. Why does it take him 50 days? He needed to get a different mentality for them, like to exercise with a different mentality. Yeah, something. It's slavery. Yeah. It's a 7 times 7 means uh, the perfection, not the perfection. Uh, and come to the, the, the new beginning. Could just be a, a, a game of numbers, although I'm not 100% sure God just does, does that. So if we have a look at Exodus 19, verse 2, uh, it says in the Hebrew, Vayisu merafadim veyavu midbar sinai veyachanu bemidbar veyachansham Yisrael neged hahar. So what you end up having is you have, now Jewish people, Rabbis, when they read the Bible, because they believe that the Bible is divine language. They believe that every, every word has a meaning, is, is, and the sounds the words have have meanings, and the, and, the, and the words that are not there have just as much meaning. And so they would ask, why does it say that God camps twice? Like, for example, in this week's parasha, which is on the golden calf, Moses goes up on the mountain and it says he was there 40 days and 40 nights. Typical rabbi response is, why bother saying Abim Yom Vabim Laila? That's superfluous. You can just say Abim Yom. But they, because that's what it says in other passages. Why does it deliberately say 40 days and 40 nights? And so they come up with all kinds of reasons, because they'll say that everything has a reason. So they'll say, why does it say that Israel camps twice? Continues later also with um, that you yourself have been what I did to, to seeing what I did to the Egyptians, and now I bore you on eagles' wings and brought, brought you to, to myself. myself. Yep. So he's getting, he's getting them to him. To him, and there, 
now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep, now it's really like giving them, you know, the, like the, the new relationship. Like, yeah. That's what he wants. Okay. So he wants. He want, definitely wants something. So for rabbis, they they, they look at this word uh, to to camp, yachan, or in the in the plural yachanu, they camp. And they go, well, the last time they had to camp was in chapter 12. We haven't camped since. I wonder what's going on. And they'll, they'll have a look and they'll say, um, the first time they camped, it's in plural. Yachanun. The second time, like the very next time it's used, is Yachan, which is singular. So they'll go, the first time that they're camping, there is lots of them, there's plural. They're not united, they're disunited, they're arguing over whose tent is where, uh, they're arguing over water rights to their camels, they're not sharing any of their property. And then they'll say, but wait a second, Israel actually managed to get itself together. Mm -hmm. And they were one. They're one, that's why they were one. They were united. And unity does what? Victory. Unity attracts God. Unity means God shows up. So when when uh, even even in Peter it says, "Husbands, you know you better make sure that you you're doing well with your wives, so that what happens, God will listen to your prayers." <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's uh, in in, uh, in Peter. So disunity in the family even hinders your access to prayer life, which is interesting. So God is attracted to this, to this union, so he comes down. So when he comes down, he's going to speak. And he's going to give them the Ten Commandments. All right? So next thing, according to Jewish tradition, uh, well, actually not just in Jewish tradition, it's in, um, uh, it's in the Ten Commandments. But when they when they they listen to God in the Ten Commandments, they see something. <coughs> what is it that they see? Anyone? Uh, anyone? Thunder and flashes of lightning. What ch what chapter is that? Uh, Twenty verse eighteen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? 2018? Okay, so it says in Hebrew, V'kol ha'am, and all the people, Ro'im, saw, et, so they saw something, ha'kolot, they saw the voices, it's in plural, et ha'lepidim, and they saw the, anyone know what a lepid is in Hebrew? Yeah, it's a torch. Yeah, Okay. So, So they all the people saw the voices, and they saw the fire. and they saw the voice of the shofar. So, how do you see a voice? So they see voices, plural. And what else did they see? Fire. Fire. Have to be in the spirit. 
Well, scientifically, there is there is color to music. And Correct. And when you speak, well, actually, it's a vibration. Yeah. You actually can see it. But the actual Hebrew is what we're working on. No, but yes, scientifically, that is true. Uh, speech is a vibration, and you can actually be seen. Embracing Yeah. So anyway, um, not just on our spectrum, but in, in other spectrums. Um, uh, so the, the Hebrew says that when God is speaking and giving his Ten Commandments at Shavuot, which is Pentecost, there's multiple languages. There's multiple <coughs> languages come with fire. Now, isn't that interesting? Amazing. Yeah, so that's what we're going to see very soon, yes? In our, in our chapter. Um, the rabbis would ask, why does Israel deserve the Torah? I mean, look at how bad we are, specifically how we're going to start worshipping an idol in our very next uh, uh, activity. And so the Jewish people have a midrash, which says that, um, that God actually gave everyone the Torah. Right? And so here is a midrash from uh, Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer. It says, Lest the nations of the world complain that uh, the Lord was unfair in not offering the Torah to the rest of the world, the Lord actually did in fact offer it to all the other nations of the world and was turned down by everyone. The Lord first offered it to the descendants of Esau, who live in the area of Mount Seir, in accordance with the inheritance that the Lord had given them. When he offered them the Torah, they asked, what are its laws? When the Lord told them one of its laws was, you shall not murder, they said, we, how can we accept the Torah? That law goes against our very nature. As Isaac has said to our father Esau, and you will live by the sword. Genesis 27. He next offered it to Ammon and Moab, who likewise turned it down. They asked, what are the laws of the Torah? And when they heard that immorality was one of its main prohibitions, they said, our national origins are bound up with the story of immorality between Lot's daughters and their sleeping father. Genesis 19. Immorality has become part and parcel of our national character. Then he offered it to the descendants of Ishmael, and they, and they could not, uh, they cannot now deal with the prohibition against stealing. Leviticus 19. As the angel of the Lord said of our mother Hagar, when our ancestor Ishmael, he will be a person without self-control, with his hand and everyone else's property, and everyone else's hand in his property, and he will camp on the borders of everyone else's land. Genesis 15. It was only then that he offered the Torah to the Jewish people, and he found a nation with the potential to live according to the laws of the Torah. And they realized this potential by saying to God, We will first obey and then understand. And then he offered them the Torah. Okay, it's just a midrash, and it's just a discussion on, on people asking themselves, how come we get the Torah? Why not everybody else? So they say, no, everybody else has a shot. But the, think about now what that means. The midrash says that all the nations heard. Okay? All nations Okay. At Pentecost, when they're united, that's when God comes. When he speaks, he speaks in multiple voices. Something you can actually see, which is fire, and everyone's there. Then, you get into Acts chapter 2. Oh, and what happens the very next thing after this? We have the golden cow. How many people die? 3,000. <laughs> How many people are going to get baptized? 3,000. Acts chapter 2 is a very Jewish text. So this is another reason why I happen to think Luke is Jewish, 
So I do happen to go down the line that he's the Antiochian Jew that the early church believed, and that because uh, he just happens to know this incredible midrash. And uh, I would I would argue that a, a Gentile just probably doesn't know Jewish midrashim that well. It's possible, yeah, but I'm not 100 percent sure. So we see that the day of Pentecost came and they were all together in one place. What do other translations have? Verse 1, Acts 2, verse 1. One accord. One accord, yes, thank you. They were? They were unified. They were in one place. Yes, I know I got a crappy NIV as well. <laughs> yeah, you got the one. spirit. One spirit, excellent. There you go, they're one. They're one. This uh, unity, this would be an example of true unity, whereas the calf would be a false unity. Yes, there you go. That's a good one. So this yep. unity of Pentecost is a true... A true... A true <laughs> Mount yes, we, yes, we're correcting the mistakes of Mount Sinai. Right? The, the, what's happening in Acts 2 is another Mount Sinai experience. But this time, with some, with some added bonuses. Okay? This is... Um, this is time for the Jewish people, for the second time, united as one nation through the uniting of the spirits. The first time was in the wilderness, 14 years, they united by the Spirit of God through different signs and wonders. Yes, we have to be careful about unity, because yeah. unity is unity. fantastic. Unity attracts God, it's fantastic. Yeah. Maintaining unity is really difficult. Yeah. So the second time, it okay. costs. Yeah. Only God can do this. Uh, I'm sure the Jewish people were united a little a few more times in between. But yeah. it, we, it's, it's in, even in our tradition, even in Christian tr tradition, we have lots of different denominations, we have lots of different groups, we all come together on certain occasions, and it's actually very hard to keep united. But you would turn to the spirits but, and be one. Yeah. And unity is not one, two, three, everybody think like me. That's not what unity is. Okay, it is possible to have different opinions on stuff and still have, have, a, have a call of unity. Okay. Um, so they're all together in one place and that attracts God. Okay, now we get a sound of that was like blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. All right. And, uh, and what's the word that everybody has for that for the house? House. Okay. Where are they? Can I venture some thoughts? Absolutely. Where is this one place? Where is where are they of one accord? I like this, so here we go. I'm going to start. I've got a, I've got a study Bible here, and I'm going to start by reading uh, one of the notes. I'm, I really love this Bible. It's got lots of extra stuff in, nice maps and things. But this, it says on Acts chapter two, verse two. The house where they were sitting probably was the upper room, which must have been located close to the Temple Mount. Okay, uh, I disagree. Um, and we'll come back to explain maybe why he uses the word house. But let's, um, first of all, ha have a run at this, starting from the last verse of Luke's Gospel. So this is... Uh, Luke chapter 24, well actually I'll read the whole paragraph just so we have it in context. So this is about the ascension of Jesus and pay attention to the last verse. 
Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So we know from um, Luke's account in the chapter one there at Acts that this was uh, 40 days after his ascension. And because um, we're talking about a 50 day period between the resurrection and the day of Pentecost. So we're talking near about a, a 10 day gap when this relates to, and they were continuing the temple praising God for all of those 10 days. And then the feast of Pentecost comes up. Um, and it's one of the pilgrim feasts, which means they are required to turn up in the temple. I mean, it's, it's mandatory to travel there, but if you're a resident of Jerusalem, which they were effectively, then you basically had to turn up in the temple during that day. Now, unlike the other two pilgrim feasts, which were a week long, this was just one day, which means that it was a particularly crowded event. I mean, some of the, uh, the days in, in Sukkot and Passover, <coughs> there were special days which the place would have been really heaving, but not all the time. This day, one day, was guaranteed to be heaving everybody on, on the Temple Mount. Um, and so, if they were on the Temple Mount blessing God for the attendees, and then come the day of Pentecost, they are required to be on the Temple Mount. Where do you think they were? On the, on the Temple Mount. Yeah. It's, it's not very difficult to see it when you just kind of put those two things together. Um, so there they are in the Temple Mount. And actually, I think Peter and the other leaders would have said, you know, guys, I sense something's going to happen. God is going to do something today. Oh, you know, and because Jesus had said, not many days hence, you will receive the, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And there must have been, a, I think, a sense of expectation that something was going to be happened. So because, as you know, the days start in the evening, I think the the apostles and the disciples, 120 of them, the whole, whole shooting band, were there at the front of the queue the evening before waiting to go up there. And they would have been reading the scriptures all night because that was a tradition in Jesus' time and it still is a tradition there, reading about what we've just read, the giving of the law. They would read that through the night and, and talk about it and discuss it. Uh, that's what they did. And so when the, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, in other words, when it was daytime, and they were all gathered together in one place, there's a sound of the mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now this house is the Temple Mount. Um, and it is interesting to note that the Jews still call the Temple Mount Ha Habayit, the hill of the house. You don't need to say whose house it is. It's the house of God, but you don't need, so it's just the house. Um, and I think what's going on here is that we know Luke was working from uh, eyewitness accounts. These will be both oral traditions and written traditions. And for example, it's pretty obvious that he meets up with Mary, the mother of Jesus. The number of kind of, things he writes about, the birth narratives that only 
Mary would have known about and her reactions and how she responded and what the angel said and what kind of thing. So these will have been an oral tradition almost certainly from Mary. But this event here, this event, I'm sure had been written down. It was such a major happening that there would have been written records for Luke to access, written in Hebrew. And this is the point I'm making. It would have been written in Hebrew, therefore referring to the house, which would unmistakably have been understood as the Temple Mount, as we call it. So, um, and the way that um, we can see, I can't demonstrate this now, but the way that Luke would respect his source documents is to translate them word for word. And even in the word order of your source document. So there's plenty of places in both Luke's gospel and in Acts, and it stops happening about halfway through when he, be, when he becomes the eyewitness, that you have these passages which are clumsily constructed in terms of Greek, but you try to translate them back into Hebrew and you find this is the Hebrew word order. So they translate really easily back into Hebrew, so these phrases. And so because of that way of translating, I think um, Luke has just used a word taken from the Hebrew and used the Greek word for house to say that's. And the whole point is that God is not doing this in a corner. This is a phrase that Paul uses later on in this trial, talking to, to Herod Agrippa. He says, and you know these things, because they weren't done in a corner. And, there he, and this, the massive area of the Temple Mount was filled with a mighty rushing wind. Suddenly everybody's wondering, you know, what's, what's happening? And it's as if God says, okay, now I've got your attention. Listen to what these guys have got to say. And then this fire comes down from heaven. And the other point I want to make is that we mentioned yesterday that there was this issue of these certain things were missing from the second temple, including Orim and Thummim, what we just talked about. Um, and then the Ark of the Covenant was missing. The active, living and active word of the prophet was missing after Malachi. And the fire, as we understand, never fell on the altar of sacrifice of the second temple. However, it fell on this day, but it didn't fall on the altar of sacrifice, it fell on people. So God is again hinting that this people, you know, the, the holy fire falls on them and they, be, they, they are transformed and something happens and, he, and he's doing it in a very, very public manner. And so not only have in this issue of the Urim and Thummim, is Peter demonstrating it, that he's acting as if he has the authority of the high priest to make, to cast lots. Um, we have this fairly unequivocal indication that God is testifying to these people that he is doing something with them that hasn't happened before. Is, that, is, that, is it possible many more than 3,000 were there? Okay, yeah, this is, this is the point. Actually, oh yeah, there's another couple of points I'd like to make. That there's a big crowd there, and um, the Temple Mount can fill, fit, I think, 10, maybe 15,000 people. Oh, no, more, more than that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and so this issue of, you know, how on earth did he speak to the, all these people of the diaspora? It, there's only one place in the city where you've got that much space to talk to everybody. And everybody would have been there. As I said, this is one day... Everybody had to turn up on that one day if they were going to do anything on, on Shavuot, and they were all there. So the place was heaving. 
thousands upon thousands of people. And I think that the, the apostles would have been sat in Solomon's portico, which is the east side. They would have been there all night. They got the best seats. That, that was the best side because it meant that uh, you had the shade when the sun's coming up uh, in the morning. Um, yeah, how about the upper room Jesus appeared after resurrection? Um, well, he does do that, but this is not it. This is not the upper room. Yeah. This is before. Yeah, no, so, yeah. Jesus does Jesus appeared to We have no idea where the upper room is. is. in the upper room, and he said that the door was closed because yes. they are afraid of the Jews. Yes. And Jesus is just penetrated yes. into yes. it, yeah. which means with the door and gates, yeah. maybe. Yeah. So could this be also on the Temple Mount? Um, well, I mean, uh, yeah, sorry, to, I... to comment on that, that I'm really looking forward to this resurrection body, you know, traveling at the thought of, traveling at the speed of thought and going through wherever you want. Great. <laughs> I like the fact that I'm going to be able to eat without putting weight on. I mean, Jesus can do it. It's like, well, I'm going to be able to do it too. Yeah. It's going to be good. So, no, we have no idea. Kind of only 3,000 were saved. Yes. Couldn't have been anymore, but that's the number. No, no, no. Okay. This, is, that's the number. this number is very significant. Why is, significant. Why is it significant? Right. Because how many died the golden cow? Right. right. Three thousand. Three thousand. So we're we're fixing it all. So you deliberately God did that. Deliberately yeah. do yeah. it that way, and you end up with tongues of fire, right? That thing that you can physically see, mm -hmm. right? Um, which the fire, was, as as Neville was saying, was never part of the uh, second temple uh, structure. What is happening? Happened. 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 First temple. It happens. Second temple. Solomon's temple had it. The presence of the, the presence of the Lord had left the first temple. It had never returned into the second. So having all this wind and thing is earth shattering. Okay. And I and I and I definitely agree that habayit in Hebrew means only one thing. Right. That's the temple. House of God. House of God. Yeah. I mean. Uh, I remember as a young man thinking that people were struggling with the idea of how on earth did they baptize 3,000 people in one day? Well, the point is that um, Christian baptism was just like a ritual immersion bath, uh, dipping yourself in the, in the mikvah. And we know, I mean, the, the archaeologists have found around the Temple Mount up, upwards of a hundred, some small, some large mikvah. No shortage of mikvah, and the point is because everything was happening on one day, they would have all been cleaned out, ready, got all the all their fresh water in, ready to go, That's and so and, you know they they will have processed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people to get them all up on, onto the Temple Mount right. by by daybreak, and yeah. baptizing three thousand people that was a doddle. Yeah. Yeah. The mikvah still can be seen. Yeah, still still good. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask who counted, but maybe there are groups of ten or something in the mikvah. I don't know who no, they're just all over the place. Southern wall excavation, you can all go and you all enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, and you can all see there's the sheer number of um, of places where they do all the baptism. There are, there are small ones which, and then there are ones which have the dividing line in the middle, so they have a one-way system going up and down. And then there's a really large one, which most people can't see, that, where a, a public, so that be room for lots of people to go down and, yeah. you know, mass processing people to be richly pure so that you can get as many up onto the Temple Mount as fast as possible. And it all happens in one day. And, and my, my take on this is that, you know, having, having explained that actually, when you see it like that in that context, it all comes together. And then I say, well, this, this is as if God planned it. You would think. Okay, so it says in verse two that they were sitting. Now, how do you teach in Jewish tradition? You? Okay, so what are they doing? And which means? 
teaching. The teaching. Okay, so while they're doing that, they saw what appeared to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, in Jewish tradition, when God spoke, there was voices. How many voices do, did we hear, according to Jewish tradition? Seventy. Why seventy? Because it's the number of the descendants of Genesis. <coughs> yep, so Genesis 10 okay, tells you that there are 70 nations of the world. Okay. And, uh, and so each of the world heard, hence the Midrash. Okay. And so all of the world is hearing, they're in fire, in a tongue. Uh, this sort of shape, you know, in the tongue of fire, that rests, is the reason why um, bishops wear those mitres. It's supposed to, yeah, those little crazy hats that they wear. That's supposed to be a tongue of fire. And they're only supposed to put it on when they're in a conclave, when they're all united, and then they can speak. Okay, that's their symbolism. Do they? Everything they have is taken from like the first day. First early church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. Everybody says that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So they, they, they see what appears to be tongues of fire that separate. Because according to Jewish tradition, when God spoke, fire came out of his mouth. That's the reason why it says in the text, they saw fire or fires. Lepidim. And then it splits off. Okay, it splits apart. And then that's what they saw on Mount Sinai. Here they see exactly the same thing. Okay. And it comes to rest on each of them, okay. not fire on an altar, burning up a sacrifice, but actually uh, sitting. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. So now they are filled with the Spirit. So what, what has happened to them before? In John 20. They have received the Spirit. Now, now God said he's going to be baptized in the Spirit and it'll come with power. Now we get a filling of the Holy Spirit. So you can have the Holy Spirit and then you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. All right. And so, and, and they began to speak in other languages, tongues. Yes. Okay. As the Spirit enabled them. So the whole... Charismatic tongues is not Not this, no. This yeah. is, yeah. The, the, the charismatic tongue or the tongue of an angel is not this tongue. Right? That's, a, that's a separate tongue. But pray more than anyone else in tongues? Sure. So the tongues is not language. It's a spiritual language. Spiritual language. But here, yeah. they are filled and they can speak in tongues as the Spirit enables them. So the Holy Spirit gives them the gift of, of, of speaking in, in other people's languages. I got verse 3, cloven tongues like as a fire. What's that? We're called in tongues. Parted, separating that to become. Separate. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. To separate, just uh, and and move. And and presuming this is the 120 rather than the 12, is it? Correct. This yeah. is the 120, and uh, so that includes who? Yeah. Mary. Mary. Yes. <laughs> Why would Mary not be there? She was Catholic. No, women, women were in the temple. How do I know that women were in the temple and had functions? When Jesus was a baby, who does he meet? Anna. Anna. Yeah, so women had a role. They were in the temple and, they had, and she was a prophetess. And so there is absolutely no reason why Mary wasn't there too. So Mary gets full of the Holy Spirit. Mary gets a little piece of uh, fire on her head. And Mary gets to walk around and start talking to people in other languages. Amen. Which is actually kind of cool. So do the brothers of Jesus. All right? And, right? Because they were there too. According to Acts 1. Right? And, uh, and any of the other. And that would include Lazarus. 
Okay. They would be there, and his sisters. Mary and Martha, yes. And if you if you if you read Luke, Joanna would be there. She's paying for the whole mess anyway, so she'd better be there. Okay. Um, all right. So now in verse five, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation. So we deliberately make sure all nations are represented. Every nation under heaven is that. Technically true. Well, no. Incas aren't there. Aboriginals aren't there. Average Indian isn't there. There's no Kazakhs. Chinese aren't there. Okay. However, according to the way Jewish people think, if if your genealogy is going to come from one of these these seventy nations in Genesis ten, you're all there. Okay, you're all there. Um, if we want to get technical, technical, well, that's just a silly game to play because um, the, the Bible is a Middle Eastern text and there's no way that the Mayan Indians had ever heard of the thing. And Jesus did not go and visit them, as the Book of Mormon would like to say. Yeah. Okay, but according to the way Jewish people think, every nation under heaven was there. Somebody was represented from everyone in Genesis 10, which is exactly what we see in Exodus. And when they, when they heard this sound... A crowd comes together in bewilderment. So the, the, the temple is, is, is full of this wind. There's this noise. We haven't had that before since the first temple. None of us have actually experienced this before. And so they, they flock to where the disciples are, are doing their thing. You can't miss them now. Right? There's a lot of them. And they've, all, and they've, they've got these bishops' mitres on their heads. And... Yeah. and uh, and each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they're utterly amazed. Uh, is that what everybody has as that translation in seven? Utterly amazed? Or does some of it say fearful? Where's seven? It says amazed. Amazed and astonished. Astonished, so yeah. Seven. Marveled. Marveled, okay. So there's a, there's a few different words to try and describe the Greek of being utterly perplexed. They're, they're stunned. They're a little bit... Uh, anxious. There's a whole bunch of you know what is actually going on, and honestly, you probably would too. Yes, if you saw if you saw a guy speaking in your language with a with a fire on his head, okay, you probably would go, what what did I eat last night? I mean, man, that was some weird cheesecake. Um, yeah, and they go like so. Not they they start they start asking themselves, are these not Galileans? Um, which is a derogatory term. Okay, because what happened to the Galilee in the first temple period? Uh, they were um, killed. Yeah, they were all taken away by Sennacherib, right? So it was depopulated. And what did they put in their, in their place? Foreigners. foreigners. Yeah, Samaritans and foreigners. Okay, so... Galilee of Gentiles. Yes, Galilee, that's hence the, hence the expression. Yeah. Galilee of the Gentiles. Gentiles. We've filled it up with, with non-Jews. <coughs> and then during the Maccabean period, okay, we... Um, we, we, we start to repopulate the Galilee. So we go to the Galilee and we start to, first of all, we force convert a bunch of people. <laughs> it's always one good way to repopulate the place. You're no longer Gentiles, we're gonna turn you into Jews or kill you, which one would you like? And uh, some of them force convert. The Maccabees are not uh, heroes as like everybody often makes them out to be, uh, but they also repopulate them as well with, with other normal Jews. Um, but they tended to be poor not as literate, not as wealthy. Okay, they uh, were living in a heavily Gentile area. 
um, just like it is today. When you go to the Galilee, the Galilee is 50-50 Arab and Jew. Right? Okay, come to, come to Jerusalem, it's 50-50 still. Go to Tel Aviv, it's nearly 100% Jewish. Right? So there's some, some the way the population moves. But in the, in the Second Temple period, Jerusalem was heavily Jewish, had all the, uh, had all the, uh, the learning, had all the good uh, seminaries and stuff, and the Galilee, not so much. So, this is a derogatory term. These Gal- Hellenistic. As Hellenistic. Not always, though, um, because we find uh, some very powerful synagogues in the Galilee, and after Jerusalem dies, they move north, and the centers of Jewish orthodoxy take place in Tzfat and Tiberias, okay, which is where you... Free- yes. There were stories that they had to flee really, really fast, um, and there are like also archaeological synagogues and stuff like that. They had to leave everything because of the Romans. Yep, the ones that rebelled? Yeah, so um, different, uh, during the Roman rebellion, different cities did different things. Some joined the rebellion and some didn't. So, uh, depending on, on which ones. Yeah. So, they how then each of us hears in his own native tongue. And then we get a list of all of these um, uh, groups of people. So, Parthians. Where do Parthians come from? I have, the, I have some maps. Too. Oh, excellent. Okay, the Parthians, Medes... Elamites, these are the guys that are out there in the east, okay, or what we today might call um, Iran and Iraq, okay. The Parthian Empire was a large empire that actually rivaled Rome. Rome and Parthia fought each other to a standstill, okay. Nope. Nope, Rome did not win, Parthia didn't win, it was a draw. They are residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Right? So there are some Asians. Okay. Phrygia and Parthenia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, near Cyrene. Visitors from? Rome. Rome. Okay. Both Jews and converts to Judaism. All right. So, in, in the Bible, we are told that three times a year, every man is supposed to show up to Jerusalem. That actually doesn't happen. Right? There's no way that if you're living in Rome, you can possibly make a pilgrimage to Rome three times a year. You're just going to run out of money. You don't have any, any time. So what you do is you make a hajj. You get a group of people, like say we're the synagogue in Rome. We say, who's going to go to Jerusalem this year? And we go, uh, okay, you guys. And so we give you our gifts for the temple. We give you our prayers. You can stick them in the wall. You know, all that kind of stuff. We give whatever. And then you guys hop in your boat sail off uh, to Rome, uh, to Jerusalem, and then you have this event. Then you come back, and then we say, hey, what was it like? <laughs> and then you go, it's fantastic, you know? You know, we have this tongue of fire, and we're all speaking different languages, and I believe in Jesus as the Messiah now, and the rest of us sort of sit there and go, we're not seeing anyone else in Jerusalem, it's weird over there, they're just uh, absolutely crazy. Right, everyone stay home, okay? And so, where does the actual church in Rome start? In Jerusalem. Yep. <laughs> Starts here. And, and who was the main protagonist? Peter. So now you get the tradition, Peter started the church in Rome. They didn't do it in Rome. He did it? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, not too far away down the road. Okay? And so, yes, the church of Rome starts here. Paul writes to the Romans, even though he's actually never been there. Okay. 
Alright, so Jews and converts to Judaism, so there were some people who were attracted to the monotheistic tradition. Cretans and Arabs. Arabs. Yes, there's all Arabs inside. Yep. Very interesting. Now, at the time, what, <coughs> uh, what religion do Arabs have? Well, the Arab actually referred to the region is not by bloodline at all. Right, it doesn't Arabs say it, it, it is. Arabs the Sinai, Sinai, all the way to Israel's four deserts. Yeah. Then continue eastward to the Saudi Arabia. Yeah. This is the whole area in Mesopotamia, yeah. east-west. Yeah. This is called Araba. Yeah. Okay, but it's not. Most of people thought is bloodline related. It's no, not at all. No, bloodline. When you'll talk about bloodline Arabs if they're related to Ishmael by calling them Ishmaelim. Right. Exactly. Okay. But when the Bible talks about Arab, okay. or okay, what other words in Hebrew have this shorish? Yeah. Erev, which is. When you are, um, what is that in English? When you have this mutual responsibility for, for, for each other. Yeah. And we say, Israel are a mixture of the same. Yes. Yes. Yeah, a, uh, geologically, it means desert. Well, it's a, 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 that's right. So the, 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 there is. Evening, Lila, and there is day, Yom, and in the middle is Erev. It's in the middle, it's a mixture. Okay, where's the Arava? It's not actually in the desert, that's the Midbar, and it's not actually in the oasis, it's a mixture of the two. The Aravim are a mixture, they are people coming together. So, again, everyone's a mixture. Anyway, that's uh, just a little bit of the Shoresh, but they're there, Arabs are there. They had a polytheistic tradition, but these ones are attracted to monotheism, so they are uh, 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 coming here to worship the Lord. And we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and they perplexed, they asked one another, what does it mean? And then, not everybody is ever going to agree to the message, which is probably a really good thing to learn if you're up there preaching, right? You, you get to have a talk and out of the crowd how many are actually going to accept your message if there's if there's 50 to 60,000 people in the temple and we baptize 3,000 of them that means yes you don't actually get everyone and I think that's also probably a lesson we have to learn too right sometimes you know we've got these ideas that uh, you know uh, we start at the Jesus movement and just everybody joins. Well, well, not really. There's opposition too. And in this case, it's an attack, right? They're not speaking sense or nonsense. I have no idea why I see fire over their head, but dang it, I'm gonna make it up. They've been drinking, right? Which makes almost no sense when you think about it. Well, the person saying that's been drinking. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yes. So in verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11, right? How many disciples have we got? 12. Right? So there's Peter and the other 11. Mm -hmm. And so out of the group of 120, we're still making a distinction of, of the inner core. So Peter assumes a leadership role of the inner group and raises his voice and addresses the crowd. And uh, uh, 
all versions are going to have something slightly different, but fellow Jews, uh, it's what, what everybody else has. Men of Judea. And all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let me say this. Listen carefully. These men are not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. So now we need our proof text. And he appeals to the prophet Joel. And, uh, and so in the prophet Joel, what are some of the prophecies that jump out of your mind when you think of Joel? Visions and dreams. Whenever I think of the prophet Joel, I think of God bringing all the nations to the Valley of Jehoshaphat to judge them all. Multitudes, multitudes in the Valley of Decision. Yes, multitudes, multitudes in the Valley of Decision. And the sort of Jewish idea that um, that's where God's going to uh, do the resurrection and do the judgment scene. Hence the reason why the uh, Mount of Olives has got a big cemetery on it. Because in Jewish tradition, you are resurrected where you're buried. So if you're buried in New York and the judgment occurs in Jerusalem, you've got a very long commute. Unless you've got that great body that we end up having. <laughs> but, but that's a later tradition. So in, in, in the Jewish resurrection, the Orthodox Jewish resurrection, um, you've got to make your own way to the judgment, whether that's El Al, Swim, or in some cases, uh, some Midrashim say, dig a tunnel. Okay. It's going to take you a very long time. Okay. But, uh, so the, now you have a cemetery on the Mount of Olives. Uh, according to this uh, Joel, but here it says this is the last days. In the last days, God has said He's going to pour out His Spirit on all people. Right? Now here it's uh, ruachi; it's not ruach hakodesh. Okay, it's not the Holy Spirit; it's just God saying, "My, my Spirit." Uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. So we're going to end up with males and females. Engaged in, in prophecy. So prophesying means he's inspired to speak out what the Spirit is speaking to him. Is it? I don't, I, How do you I don't explain know. the prophesying? I have no clue. Anyone want to hazard a guess? What is a prophecy? Yeah, I think you're right. Then you could be right. Speaking out what God in, yes, instructs you to say. Inspired you to. Yes. Yep. At the time, uh, we have two different types of prophets in the Bible. Okay. We have the literary prophet. That is the prophet that writes stuff. Okay. And then you have the prophets that don't write stuff. They're called seers. Yes. Well, who, who are some of the big prophets that don't write stuff? Well, no. it depends on who you think wrote. Yeah. Okay. How about Isaiah? Oh, no, he's a literary prophet. He gets to write something. Elijah. Elijah. Elisha, they don't write nothing. Okay, but, um, but they're huge prophets. You have schools of prophets. Right? You actually, you actually get trained for this stuff. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay? And, uh, or, or the B'nai Nevi'im, the sons of the prophets. And, uh, and, and Elijah and Elisha and a few others will actually encounter these people. Saul prophesies. Right? He sits together with the schools of prophets and sits around and prophesies. But we don't really know what that means because they didn't write any of it down. Anna's a prophet. So prophecy actually doesn't end like they all say that it did. They don't right? understand themselves, the prophets. Just like Isaiah, he said, a son be born to you. Remember? He doesn't know what's going about. You know, after 760 years later, Jesus was born, was prophesied by yes, Isaiah. Yes, that's, yes, that's a literary prophet. I'm talking about the, the guys who don't write stuff. 
And maybe that's what's happening again here. Those people exist at the time of Jesus, and they exist the, in the Old Testament, at the time of Jesus, and in the New Testament. Okay, there's this role of prophet. We're not sure what that is. But it's going to happen. How do I know it's going to happen? I just read it. <laughs> okay? You know, in the last days, God is going to pour His Spirit on all flesh. Guess what? You all get it, brothers and sisters. So you have the Spirit, and so you will prophesy. Isn't that fantastic? That's probably the reason why Paul said in Corinthians, I wish you would all prophesy. Why? Because that's what's supposed to happen. Right? If, if, if Paul has been reading his, his, his book of Joel, he's going, no, actually, we're all supposed to be doing this. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesy. Despise not prophecies, yes. So, so we are, the, the, so he, this is his quote proof text to, to tell the people this is actually what's happening in front of you. Okay, your sons and daughters are going to prophesy, your young men are going to see visions, and your old men are going to dream dreams, and it isn't actually going to matter which part of the country you're from. So give it up that we're Galileans, okay? Right, that's the ad-libbed, paraphrased version uh, in there. Um, even on my servants, even the, the lowly folk, both men and women servants, right? And we're really getting, we actually, we actually say that men and women twice now are going to get the Spirit. Okay, I'm going to pour out my Spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Okay, it's going to happen. So, somewhere along the line, we should be expecting prophecy within our community. Our problem is we don't really know what that is because it's not written down what they do. Paul also says, do not go beyond what is written. So could a prophecy be an interpretation of what is written and it wouldn't go outside of that? Could be. I mean, um, uh, I don't know. I can, what I can say is that next week when we get to the bit that says uh, the fellowship of the believers, we'll pull out the, the, the early church documents on how did they recognize the Spirit. If they honestly believed that the Spirit was present in their community and that He was actually doing something, how do we recognize it vis-a-vis -vis false spirits? Because they've also had one of their own number go wrong. Right? They actually did amazing things in the presence of Judas. And he probably did it in their presence too. And, uh, but yet he still, he still went bad. So he's, then there's going to be signs and wonders in the heavens, signs on the earth below, Blood, fire, and billows of smoke. Well, have we seen that? Mm -hmm. No. Well, not here. Okay. Um, the sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, Woof. before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So uh, perhaps we're, we're, we, can, we can do the sign, heavenly signs, leave that for a little bit later. Um, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that, I think, is a beautiful piece of the prophecy. Okay. I think the key word there is not... Calling on the Lord, the key word there is everyone. Yes. And calling on the name of the Lord is not so much an action, it's a way of life. The, uh, the theology of the Psalms, which are actually your theology of the, of the Jewish people, you can tell people's theology by their prayers, how they're praying, what they're praying. And the theology of the Psalms, salvation is always universal. So you always get hallelujah, Dadanai, Kologoyim, praise the Lord, all the nations. Okay? And it was always that the nations were going to come and pray. And it doesn't say the Jews, that is, all the nations who have now become Jewish are now coming to Jerusalem. Nope, they're nations, they're the Goyim. Yes. You get into Zechariah, all the nations are going to come for the Sukkot. 
Not all the nations who have now become Jews are all going to come to Sukkot. The nations, they're going to stay, stay Gentiles. And, uh, and, and so this idea that everyone is going to be saved is actually a really good... So good. what's a call on the Lord? Hoshiana, call on the Lord. Lord, save me. What is calling on the Lord? Okay, that's a question. Open it up to the floor. What does it mean to call on the Lord? All the ways to be saved or, you know, this and that, this and that. Call on the Lord. Yes. So it can't be that. Right. So to call on the Lord can't be just to say, yeah. Lord, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because Jesus himself says, not everyone who says that. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be more. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think there's so many hints, especially in this chapter, where they constantly say, Now what do we have to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? What do I do now? Not what do I believe. They already believe in God. How do we know they believe in God? They're in the temple. I mean, it's like they're there already. Okay, there's like, well, God said we better show up. We're going to show up. This is fantastic. I've got my offering, I've got my sacrifice, I've got my gifts. My family's here. This is fantastic. Whoa, spirit, fantastic. What do I do? What else? Okay, not what do I believe. I already believe it. I think those disciples already experienced Jesus' resurrection. They see the, mm. the scarf of the headset with the body. They saw the proof of the resurrection. They do. And, and on the Mount of Olives, he, they saw him ascended. Yep. Yes. So he, this is the name above all name, called upon the Lord. Yes. Yeah. That, he is the only one. Yes. That, and that, this is what they propagate in the book of Acts. Yes. Because they what? saw the resurrection. Yes, yes, Lord. yes. What we're referring to is referring to the guys who haven't seen that. So the guys who show up on Pentecost, they turn around and say, well, now what do we do? And so we're going to get the command to baptize and, and get a gift. We'll see how much more we can do. But it uh, says they have to repent. Yes, right. there's definitely a repentance, uh, which, is a, which is not a, a brand new New Testament word. Uh, the, uh, the idea of repentance is a well-developed theme in the Second Temple period, uh, harking all the way back to when you get to Leviticus and you have all the sacrifices, the funny thing about all the sacrifices in Leviticus is they're all for unintentional sins. It's the reality of Christ Himself as sacrifices. Which so when you when you read this is for when you, if you sin unintentionally, if you do this, then offer this bull. If you do this, it's like okay, but what happens if I actually physically, willfully do something? What is my sacrifice? Leviticus hasn't got one for you. So what do you do? Then. Yes. So in the second temple period, they worked out that if you actually want to, it was always about the heart. They began to look into the text and they saw all these verses, circumcise your heart, write the laws on your heart. God's going to create a, a new heart. Well, how do I get my new heart? I repent. And, uh, and so they never negated the fact that you still have made sacrifices. Just not, just not, because those sacrifices had, had deep meanings, particularly later on in the life of Yeshua too, okay, where he's going to be Passover lamb. Right. So we, we definitely have to keep killing those behold lambs. Behold the lamb of God. Yep, behold the lamb of God. And the sin offering. Uh, yes, the sin offering in uh, Corinthians. Okay, so men of Israel, right? So listen to this. Even though he's calling men of Israel, who's actually present? Women, too. Men, women, men, and women, and uh, and all the nations. And I'm thinking that Peter and the eleven might have been here, and yeah. the others were listening. It's, it's possible, kind of like they were together in a sense. Yes. Peter stood up with the eleven. Yes, Jesus. Yep. 
Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, okay, this is the, uh, uh, here's his turn, uh, was a man accredited to God, how? Miracles, wonders, and signs. Okay, so this is how God reveals his, his heroes, okay, uh, by the proof texts of signs and wonders, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So the, 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 the sermon is actually pretty easy, because you all seen him. Okay, um, you actually have seen some, some people have actually seen this Jesus alive, and uh, who else came out alive with Jesus? That's right. A whole bunch of people. Yeah, a whole bunch of people. So you know, all kinds of crazy things have been going on the last forty days. Okay, so Peter's very keen to say, okay, I'm taking the current events, and I'm saying, you know, you yourselves know everything that's been going on. Um, this man was handed over to you by God, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Right. So, you know, too often, I guess, we can blame Jewish people, right? Uh, but that's actually not fair. Uh, Peter is actually going to, to do a little bit of self-accusation. But at the same time, he just definitely sets it up that it's God's purpose. Okay. Um, as Jesus himself says, no man takes my life except... Yes. I give it up. Yeah. You couldn't kill Jesus even if you wanted to. Yeah. So this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and with the help of wicked men. Right? It, uh, uh, does anybody have any other different verse word, version for 23? Lawless. lawless. Okay, so if someone is lawless, what does that mean in Jewish thought? They were not Gentiles. They were not Jews. They were not Jews. They don't have the Torah. Anyone who doesn't have the Torah is lawless. Okay. So who are the Gentiles in this case? The Romans. Okay. So there's a nice little Jewish way of saying the Romans. Okay. Later on in rabbinic literature, they change it to just use the word Edom. They decide to call all the Romans Edom. And I don't know why. They just do. Wow. Okay. Just, this is like a little code. But here, the code is the wicked men, okay, the lawless ones. It's almost like in the Old Testament. <coughs> That's right. Way before. Way before. Way before the Romans even thought about. Yep. They, it's just, just, there's just their code word for it. <coughs> yep. And, and what's really fun is in the Talmud it also says, where do I find the Messiah? He's in Edom. Oh, yeah, he's with the he's with the Romans. He's with the Gentiles. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but, it's, but it's in the Talmud. But it's, but it's an interesting discussion on Messiah. We'll do yeah. another day. Okay, so here, wicked man, they put him to death by nailing him to the cross. All right. Um, everybody has that word there. Yeah. Crucified. <coughs> Killed. Okay. Where was what was Jesus hung on? Okay, other texts, and we'll, we'll look at them, I'll uh, bring them out next week, uh, it says he was hung on a tree. So he was crucified on a tree. Right? Uh, we get the idea of a cross later on, because uh, we, we tend to reimagine a lot of the, the, uh, the stories through our own eyes and through our own, own art. But uh, Jesus is, is hung on a tree. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Isn't tree a, a Hebrew word for crops? They didn't have that word in the language. Slav? Oh, we have it. <laughs> I thought it was reference. It's, 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 it's
It's a mother. Romans did it. Romans yes. Because most of people are rebellious, and the Roman Empire want to press down sure. the rebe rebellions. Is it just a, it was just a Roman they method? No, yeah. They have no way to make cross. You just hang all the tree on yeah. the road. All the tree are nailed. Yeah. Quickly put them on. Shove the, them up there. Yeah, shove them there. Yeah. That's it. It's, so, it, it's a because it, the the, the yeah. prophecy is a tree Roman method of execution. Yeah. It's a Jewish method of execution was stoning. 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 It means to be cursed. Those yes. who are hanging on the tree. Yeah. And so the, 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 the method of stoning was a te technically mm -hmm. more humane. Right. Why was it more humane? Because yeah. usually what they would do is they would grab somebody, get a nice big rock, and go. Okay. <laughs> so what's the first thing that happens to him? He's knocked unconscious. Okay, now we can kill him, right? As opposed to the Roman execution, which is let's just keep him alive as long as possible and conscious, right? So uh, I'm not saying that that it's a good thing. Death penalty is is a killing people is a hard thing in in many different different ways. Okay, so uh, we will end it there uh, tonight, um, and we'll pick it up at the second prophecy of uh, of, of David, where we begin to look. Um, at various psalms again according to the second temple period the book of psalms is prophetic mm -hmm. yes, according to the Jewish people today they're not Why? because you have right, Torah, Ketuvim and uh, Nevi'im and in the Nevi'im is not the Tehillim okay right yep and so what happens is the current canon of the Jewish people is actually a reaction to the early Jewish Jewish Jesus movement. Okay, as they look at what the, the Jews the Christians are going, oh my gosh, they're finding all these prophecies in the Psalms. First thing we do, it's not in the prophets. Oh, you like Daniel? He's not a prophet. Okay. But that the, the whole argument falls down because according to Jewish tradition, the Bible is divine language which means the Psalms are divine language. So it doesn't matter which where you put them. It's divine. And so we're going to find lots of good prophecies inside prayers. Okay? And think about that. People be praying these for hundreds of years, which is an interesting thought. All right. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.